Welcome to Luthier's Tale. I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. For more info on my guitars, please visit LiggettGuitars.com. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Liggett Guitars. Every week, I interview someone that is passionate about their craft. Today, I'm speaking with Nate Wood from Stahman Guitars. Nate is a fellow Roberto Vin graduate and runs a guitar repair shop based in Springfield, Oregon. Make sure to follow his Instagram at Stahman Guitars or visit his website, StahmanGuitars.com. Let's get into it. Man, so thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this. Yeah, no problem, man. Do you listen to podcasts? So being a luthier can be a bit of a solitary pursuit. Uh, yeah, I listen to podcasts occasionally, but um, a lot of my time lately is just silence or kind of ambient elevator music when I'm working. I like that silence. I I can't I can't deal with that. Yeah, there's there's a degree to uh, which it can be helpful, but it can be also deafening when yeah. you're working solo, especially if you have any kind of tinnitus. Yeah, I don't know if I I should have tinnitus, but I don't yet. Well, good. N- knock on wood, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> man. So. So tell me, uh, tell me about Stallman Guitars. What your name is, Nate Wood, mm-hmm. and so why is your company called Stallman Guitars? Or am I saying it wrong? You are one of the few people who have pronounced it correctly on the first try. Sick. A lot of people call it a plant part. Call it a stamen. Right. But uh, it's a it's a German name, and it's my great grandmother's maiden name. And she was who taught me how to play music when I was a little kid. So I named the business after her for the reason that she was a badass, but also because wood guitars is like calling your tire company rubber tires. (laughs) Which, you know, it's not the worst thing ever. But yeah, yeah, that's a cool that's a cool tribute to her. Yeah, I I should also include the fact that when I registered my business name, I was really drunk and I misspelled it. So it's uh, forever misspelled as my business name. I'm sure she'd be like sort of bummed about that, but also find it funny. So oh, well, that's fine. good. So she had a good sense of humor. Yeah, she was a badass. She used to like train hop and stuff when she was a uh, young lady. What? What what era would this be? 30, uh, 40s? I guess probably the 30s. She was born in 1907. So Good she Lord. would uh she'd like hop trains and go to swing dances and uh roll packs of cigarettes into her shirt sleeve but not smoke them cuz she was Mormon. Whoa. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty badass. I'm glad I asked <laughs> that. Yeah, she she's she's a badass lady for sure. Um, you are a fellow Roberto Venn graduate. I am. Two thousand eleven. 
2011. Uh, summer or winter? Uh, I guess summer. Started in January. Mm-hmm. Done in like July or whatever. Yep. I think it was July. Okay, I was exactly a year after you. Okay, cool. How uh, how essential was that training to you? I think the biggest benefit I got from going to Roberto Venn was just proof that I gave a shit about making it my job. You know, I I don't know if anyone comes out of Roberto Venn with a or like any Lutheran school, I shouldn't single them out, but I don't think anyone comes out of a education that's that short having any idea what they're doing. Yeah, and it's funny because most people think that five months is like a really long school for such a thing. Yeah, I guess there are a lot of um, kind of short ones at community colleges and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I liked the idea of going a little longer. I just didn't have the cash to go to one of the more uh, expensive schools. Plus, Roberto Venn is in the desert, and the desert's cool. Just Phoenix isn't necessarily. No offense to anyone who is from Phoenix, of course. Just not the place for me. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mind it. It was pretty cool, but uh, I don't know that I'd want to live there. Yeah, I definitely couldn't live there. Just the heat or what? Culture. I think I think I think I'm a small town boy. Just a small town boy. Well, um, so tell me about the town you're in now. You're near Portland, right? Sorta. Of. I'm two hours or so from okay. Portland. That's a decent jog from there. Yeah. I the town I grew up in in Utah, I think was around 40,000 when I was growing up. Uh-huh. And where I live now, I think is 60 or 70,000. So it's a nice jump up from that, but it's smaller than Portland. And Portland was a little too wild for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's similar to uh, the town I grew up in. It was about 50,000. It's probably, I don't know, closer to 60 or 70 now. So yeah, that's a, that's a good good size i think yeah and the the town i'm in springfield bumps right up against eugene so it's generally considered pretty much the same town a lot of people will call it eugene springfield hyphenate it right and uh the metro area is approximately a quarter of a million people um but the the town that i'm in is just a little bit of it that's pretty cool. Yeah, I hear lots of cool things about Eugene. Yeah, I I like it. I didn't want to move here originally, but uh rode the Washington Jefferson skate park and decided it was fine to live here. <laughs> that was the that was the deciding factor, huh? Yeah, definitely it was a big one. I wanted to move somewhere where there was a good music scene and also I could skateboard and bike commute and all the things that i wanted to do that's awesome yeah so the you seem like you have a really good um like a a small business mindset or acumen 
um, you used to do a lot of things in your stories about, um, you know, just basic budgeting and things. And I think like when you're a, a one man operation, it can be really easy to just like be completely unorganized and not know what the hell you're doing. Yeah, that's the default state of the one-person operation, I think. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people fall into that. I definitely did in in the very beginning. Yeah, but, I uh, climb in and out of it. Really? You know, depending on the day, yeah. It's hard to stay on track, no matter what the goal is. Yeah, it takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it. you know, whether it's being fit or eating right or learning something or budgeting that you have to be pretty committed and it's once you fall off it's pretty hard to get back on it really is yeah i've I've noticed that so tell me about um tell me about repair and, and a little bit of what it is you do day to day i think the main staples of my business nowadays consists of the more basic operations like fret work whether it's leveling frets or refrets Mm -hmm. uh, making nuts and saddles pickup installs rewires that sort of stuff the things that used to be a huge part of my day-to-day and are now sort of dwindling intentionally are the more large scale restoration jobs Mm -hmm. where, you know, the back's got to come off and all the, all the big stuff needs to be done. I, I'm not currently taking on anything in that realm because I've got such a backlog of it already. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, neck resets and uh, bridge plate stuff and whatever. All, all those jobs that work the soul really hard when you're doing them. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm more of an instant gratification type of person, so those those jobs really will gut me if they if they take too long. <laughs> yeah, those are those jobs are almost impossible to accurately. Um, uh, tell yourself how long they're going to take. Totally. Uh, so when it comes to that, like I feel bad quoting something and then halfway through telling the client it's going to be X amount more. Like I just can't bring myself to do that. Mm-hmm. H- how do you address that? Do you lay that out beforehand or, or do you just not do that either? If the job seems from the get-go to be really sketchy, I will give someone a baseline number and let them know that it could be more than that. But that is pretty rare. Most of the time, I try to nail it upon Mm check-in. Granted, the smartest person in the world would still miss obvious issues once in a while. Absolutely. So I definitely miss things on occasion, and I try to be somewhat Frank Ford-esque 
and Mm -hmm. just use that as a learning experience for myself, like a, a painful reminder to notice that next time. Like if you don't notice a chewed up bridge plate, that's kind of on you, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think an important factor for those sort of jobs, Doug proper from guitar specialist brought up that your check-in should be really time consuming. Like I budget 30 minutes of time per check-in so that I can hopefully be detailed enough to notice everything that I'll need to address and also get some information that is specific to that particular person, Mm -hmm. such as their attack strength or what string gauge or what tuning they're using. If they're using fingers or a pick or what gauge a pickup or gauge a pick, that sort of thing. Those uh, questions I think get skipped by a lot of shops and it can come back to bite you in the ass pretty hard if you're not asking those sort of things. Absolutely. I I just want to ask you real quick. um, What do you like for a fret leveler? I still have not found found a straight device I can add sandpaper to for leveling fingerboards and consequently frets after they've been installed that I really am 100% in love with. Have you found anything? I don't think that there's such thing as a do-all tool for that. Well, what uh, about just fret leveling then? Yeah, even then, you know, um, I think it. in order to do a proper job, you really got to have like 30 different things out on the bench next to the guitar while you're working on it. Because if you have a long, uh, like a long leveling device, like if you have uh, something that's, you know, longer than like, six inches or whatever you're trying to do one of those the the full length levelers or whatever yeah yeah like frank ford who you mentioned earlier i saw him do it with a um um an old jack plane Mm -hmm. and i i have even like some levels Mm -hmm. that i've put sandpaper on and i've got the long leveling beams from Stumac and the short ones and some knife sharpening diamond stones and stuff like that. Uh, With a longer surface, you're taking more material off at both ends. So you'll naturally sort of go into a back bow if you're leveling with something that's really long. Okay. Like the leading uh, Doug and Ian uh from the i hate guitars <laughs> patreon uh-huh. they were talking about this pretty recently i think in the last couple of months that the leading edge of anything that you're using as a leveler will re- remove more material than the center of it right so that's that's i guess a really long way of of getting to the point of it's helpful to have a short one and a long one and various little lengths because 
once you get close to level, if you're using a long beam, you'll kind of need to finish it up with a shorter one to, in order to not, uh, have too much of a backbow there. It's not going to be massive. I don't think. Cause I, I did spend a, a while, you know, years of using pretty long, uh, levelers. Yeah. And what I ended up doing all the time was going back with, uh, like a, something in the realm of like 10 inches or, or even one of those small DMT D sharp stones. That's yeah. like, I think those are like under six inches, but it's, it's nice to have those various lengths because at any point you're, you're sort of concerned about the overall level being perfect, but really it's, it's every fret needs to be dislevel with what's around it. And that's, right. that's really the biggest, the most immediate concern is whatever fret you're playing. So um, that's a good point. I don't necessarily try to get everything, you know, spaceship perfect. Sure. Yeah, I I have that, or I had that exact same experience with um, radius beams for a long time, mm-hmm. like a, yeah. a long radius beam. And, and I kind of thought, well, that was purely a consequence of it being radius and radiused and me not pushing it perfectly straight because how can you push anything perfectly straight um and and then you know i saw several people online talking about really really short ones for certain areas and such so uh yeah i've definitely had that experience with those but i hadn't thought about that the leading edge takes off more than the center yeah and i think it's i could be totally wrong about this. This is just me making a conjecture, but I think that it's that front edge just, it just digs in because you're pushing it. So, mm-hmm. um, I I could be wrong, but that that's how I envision it going down. <laughs> well, well, it can certainly change based on where you're applying pressure to a beam, you know, mm-hmm. and and where, um, you know, this is like like establishing establishing a crown point on a neck on a, a flat table with sandpaper on it, you know, mm-hmm. you can push on one edge of the headstock and take off more material there. And even though everything feels flat. Yeah. And even then you, you're kind of always sketchy. Like it, it's always, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it ends up being a self-defeating game. If you try to make everything spaceship perfect, um, yeah, it's it's really just it's really just something that needs to be good enough, and I I don't mean to say that in a way that you should let low quality pass, but in the end, it only has to make music and not break and play well. And there is a certain about, amount. Nate, of... Don't you need white gloves? <laughs> When you're I don't even have a leather apron. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, neither do I. Never been an apron man. I'm yeah, sorry I, to interrupt you there. I like the apron idea, but I mean, in the summertime, that shit sucks. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Sorry to uh, interject there, but uh, you know, the cork sniffers would say everything needs to be perfect. Yeah, those are not people that I 
work for intentionally. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they're stealing, stealing their own fun. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about that? Tell me about the cork sniffers and, and you know, I, I find, I try to keep a, uh, try not to get too serious about what I do, even though I'm trying to like make get fine guitars on a high level. I do. Uh, I don't want to become a cork sniffer. How can we not become those? I think that it is the tendency of someone who is earlier in their career or sometimes less confident in their abilities or their tastes that, truly end up becoming the worst offenders in the cork sniffer realm and i will use myself as an illustrated example okay because uh when i first got into it i was really concerned with making the perfect instrument or the most artistic whatever and chasing tones and if 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 anyone wants to they can dig further back into my my uh, instagram Mm -hmm. history and if you look at the captions from younger nate i was being an asshole most of the time (laughs) and uh there's a there's this phenomenon where you start it's the dunning kruger right you you begin to learn some things and because another person has claimed those things are ultimate truth you can cling to that statement without really exploring it for yourself mhm and that's what i was doing i was uh yeah, I, I I was basically just subscribing to other other people's beliefs, and I I know now that it was because I didn't have humility, and I should have. Mm. But I I I felt in the moment really confident in my abilities for some reason. I I would post things where like someone else in the past had done something or other to a guitar, whether it was building it or repairing it and do the like, haha, look at this fucking idiot move. Ooh, yeah. And I have gone through and looked at all those posts pretty recently, actually. Um, and I had this urge to change those captions or delete those posts. And it would just be dumb to do that because it would be modifying history. And I think it's important to acknowledge that you can change your views and become a more well-rounded and, <laughs> and, and like healthy individual over time. If you're yeah. open to it, you know, um, yeah, growth is, uh, important. Uh, and it's really important to have that level of self-reflection. I think it's really good that you did that. Although if you wanted to delete them, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Especially if you put someone on blast. <laughs> I I haven't ever blasted an individual. Uh-huh. There there have been moments where I knew exactly who did what. And 
one in particular where um, I, I was basically asked to unfuck something that the previous person at the shop I was new to had royally fucked. And mm. they wanted me to do it at, I think, $15 an hour, but I was a contractor. So I was going to pay you know, like self-employment style taxes on $15 an hour on this horribly in-depth job. And the specifics of it stated quickly would be that the previous person leveled uh, the fretboard on a fender that was a very thin fretboard and took off so much material that when uh, they open up the slots for the new frets they had to go pretty noticeably into the maple Ooh. and in the end when i put my fret rocker on those frets it was rocking on like every other fret which should be like almost impossible but someone had paid the going rate for a refret and then the shop was uh making fun of this person for just being unreasonable because the previous guitar fixie person who called themselves a uh, luthier was, you know, like someone had, someone had made a huge mistake and it was not the customer. It was the shop not listening. And right. uh, I, I just refused to work on it. <laughs> I, was, I was like, the shop owes this person a new neck, like buy this person a new neck. Right. And, the the person who had done that had like still does work for a lot of really famous musicians and gets a lot of work and i i did post about it on instagram and i I made this big deal about how i was sick of uh people using this fancy word and all the expectations that come along with it when there's really no qualifications Right? Like anyone can call themselves a luthier. Yeah. And it comes with this certain self importance and mm-hmm. ego. And uh, for a long time, I wouldn't call myself that. I still don't like to call myself that, but I have to sometimes. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with using the title, but I think if. I think we do remember that we are making you know we're making things that make music and not to take it too much more seriously than that then uh and if we i think if we come or if we approach it in a somewhat joyous manner that we're lucky that we get to do this kind of thing for a living instead of having normal jobs i think we will be all right yeah, I have a friend, Randy Pickens, who put put it really well once, and I would totally butcher it if I tried to quote him on it, but essentially the same sentiment. Like, no one gets to have a job that's just fucking cool. Yeah. If you talk to most of your friends and your family, they don't like their jobs, and that's unfortunate. 
and it really it really saddens me when I see people who have a very cool job like ours and they become bitter about it. That's a mission of mine to to avoid that because I've seen it so often in such a cool profession and it's it's a place that I just don't want to end up. I don't want to be the bitter old person in the back that won't work on certain instruments because they're not cool enough, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm certainly going to be a uh, a grumpy old fucker, but hopefully I'm not a... I hope I don't have my nose too high in the air while I'm doing that. Yeah, it's it's hard to do it, though, in in the... I guess the the culture that we find ourselves in, there is so much emphasis on things that don't actually matter, like and are indescribable, like tones. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you even talking about, my dude? <laughs> and it, we can always tell when a guitar sounds like shit and when it doesn't. I I think that's a point on which most people will agree, but I I honestly struggle to believe that people can hear the difference between certain trees, especially when shittily assembled. Yeah, especially that point. Yeah, you have to meet some um, criteria, um, at least in the assembly process before you can start judging uh, what would sound like what. Yeah, like don't use old Gibsons as your test bed. Man, I'm I'm kind <laughs> of I'm kind of over like a lot of old acoustic guitars. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of them that sound amazing, but there's a lot of them that just don't to me. It's, you know, I I think the first thing I'd like to respond with is that my favorite guitars are all super old fucked up guitars. And many of this say what? Fucked up. Yeah. Like uh my um one one of my like common refrains is to talk shit on old Gibsons. I always do it. Uh-huh. That being said, some of my favorite guitars are old Gibsons. They're just built like shit, but yeah. something about them when they're working well, once you have, you know, fixed all these braces that popped off with the most superior type of glue out there, um, then they sound awesome. You just have to give them some love, but I, I don't believe there are any acoustic instruments that are going to survive for like a century and not begin to fall apart to some degree. I don't think any of these old guitar makers were trying to make an instrument that would last generations. It's sort of absurd mm-hmm. that we have so many people in our midst that are expecting that from those instruments. You know, they were just built to make a profit and 
hopefully people have some fun with them before they implode, you know? Yeah. And, and you're writing such a tight line of uh, building light enough to where, to where it's responsive and sounds really good and it falling apart. And there's a sweet spot in there. And yeah, expecting something to last a century without um, much repair is kind of, yeah, uh, unrealistic. Yeah. And, um, you know, now that, now that I've gotten it out of my system that I talk shit on things that I actually like, um, the, uh, the point that you made about kind of not liking the, the old stuff quite as much as some of the new stuff Mm -hmm. there, I was, I was told by my old boss that there was a, a blind test done and i i think it was with violins and the newer violins were preferred yeah over the I've, old I've read this this about this study and it was uh it was like during some conference at a hotel room they brought all these violinists in professionals and it was a couple strads and i think like 80s yamahas or something like that hell yeah and they all picked the 80s Yamahas. And wasn't part of their hypothesis there that it was because the newer ones were louder? Yeah, yeah. Volume is almost always associated with better tone. Yeah, so I think everyone should just turn the fuck up if they're plugged in <laughs> and give themselves a little higher action if they got an acoustic and just dig in. Yeah, but that's just me. I uh, how long do you think an acoustic guitar should last? From well, a, let's say from a luthier. I guess that would be dependent on the luthier because I think that there were some, like flamenco guitars, are supposed to be pretty short-lived instruments, right? Like the, I think the initial idea was they just are usable for a certain amount of time and you get another one. Oh, really? I wasn't aware of that. Um, but that wouldn't fly with most people. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I feel like there is a, a life span. I would expect anything to have. I would hope for anything I build acoustically to last like 50 years but yeah, I I least. think it's sort of generally expected to need a neck reset at like 20 or 30. Yes, absolutely. So at that point, in, there's going to be a bunch of people who don't even want to pay for that repair. So I think that's fine to take that into account too. If you can get that thing to last 20 or 30 years and neck reset and a refret are necessary, it's going to cost someone over a thousand dollars at that point yeah well are you familiar with um ken parker's archtops he makes now not super in-depth but i've definitely checked him out a few times the uh he uses a violin style edge that overlaps the sides yeah to pop off the top easier yeah and mm-hmm. if something was more designed a little more repairable like a violin is because like uh, classical instruments 
I mean, there's there's some kicking around from the 1600s, and they're still being played. Yeah, I mean, guitars are built really fucking dumb. If if you <laughs> if you take it and compare it to other instruments that are meant to be repaired, uh-huh. the way that we build guitars is idiotic. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Like the if we really wanted these things to be long lasting and we wanted to be kind to the people purchasing them, we would be building them to be worked on because Uh nothing just lasts. Everything breaks. So I, I've always kind of had an issue with that. And the, the annoying compounding factor is that if you were as an average builder who doesn't matter, like, myself or you know 99% of people who make guitars if you were to make that leap and make something that looks non-traditional most people wouldn't buy it it wouldn't matter if it were more serviceable or durable because we're you know people buy telecasters because that's what an electric guitar should look like if I play a certain genre of music and they buy, you know, D18s or whatever, D28, because that's what that guitar should look like, especially mm-hmm. for a very particular type of player. So it's it's riding a, a line that is kind of a bummer because you could, you could really pour your heart and soul into trying to make something that should last hypothetically as long as people are working on instruments, but you might not ever get it uh, to move. (laughs) Like no one might buy it. There's a thing with design. Like if you're designing stuff and like playing with shapes and like how they interact and all that, like you can come up with these rules for why something looks good the way it does. But there's a thing with like, with the general public, well, we like what's familiar. Totally. And we, and we want that, you know, like a, a Gibson Les Paul headstock doesn't really make a ton of sense with the body shape, but we've seen it so many times. Like it just, it is. Yeah. And like my, one of my least favorite headstocks of all time is the Telecaster headstock, but agreed. At, at the same time, probably the guitar I respect the very most is the Telecaster. <laughs> so, yeah. like, uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's just, yeah, it really is just what people want. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow when you consider yourself an artist. And I think, personally, as soon as I had decided I wasn't an artist, my life got so much better. <laughs> Wow. I I guess I've got to swallow that pill. You don't have to. You'll end up like me. <clears throat> and, you know, there there are upsides and downsides there. You, <laughs> you take like your you're own doing path. all right. Yeah, I mean, I got some different ideas, I guess, than... I mean, everybody's got different ideas. Everybody's a different person to some degree, but... Sure. I'd, I don't know if I'd recommend necessarily someone pursue what i pursue in the same way yeah because i definitely am doing things different than 
especially the average American. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like if if I were to teach a business class, people would feel like they got ripped off in the end. <laughs> you could uh, start a course like uh, business for people who don't want real jobs, you know? Yeah, or I mean, I consider what I do to be a real job. I do consider it to be a skilled trade. Um, it is, for sure. I think my course would be titled something along the lines of how to figure out exactly what you need and make 20% more so that you can buy whiskey and bike parts. <laughs> oh, man. Tell me about these folk instruments and why why are they important to you and why do uh, why do people need to pay attention to this this kind of thing? Oh yeah, like the folk art. Yeah, yeah. People I've been posting about this, and it's pretty, pretty interesting. I like the concept. Yeah, it's, it's something that I am like really passionate about, and I also get kind of a kick out of people. I guess almost getting angry that I appreciate things that they don't appreciate. Really. Uh. Yeah, just some of the some of the comments or some of the DMs I got about some of those posts are pretty fucking hilarious. And and definitely time-wasting questions, like rhetorical questions that don't matter. I don't really like to philosophize or debate philosophy with people um in that realm. But yeah, my my main concern is we're we're as a group becoming really focused on guitars as an investment which is probably the shittiest investment you could make they don't appreciate in the same way as anything else yeah and to call a guitar an investment i i just think is pretty absurd when you compare it to anything else in the world you could put your money into are people doing um, that? Calling them investments? I have I have customers that call their guitars their investments. And I, I am like straight up with them. They know how I feel about it. My main thesis is essentially that it makes sense for a collector or a dealer to value something that is completely original or unmolested. Sure. You know, the guitar that got put in the case and never played, etc. But as someone who's using the guitar to be creative as a tool, and more importantly, in my mind, just to have a good time, it's completely different than what our priorities should be. And I find more value not in a dollar amount i'm definitely not making the argument to increase value after something's been fucked with really? what i am making the argument for is to notice once a any object whether it's like a cool old mug that was broken and repaired like or a chair that was fucking broken and someone glued back together and did some cool paint on but but guitars those are just they're so much cooler because 
you can you can have a guitar and it, it has been through the hands of someone who cared about it or spent years with it and throughout that time they modified it either out of necessity or just for the fuck of it you know like i i want to paint a fucking eyeball on my guitar or whatever right. paint a flower on it carve I, I worked on a guitar last summer that someone carved like from from Roger to to Joe or something. I that was so funny. Yeah, I loved that thing. That thing was fucking awesome. And that guitar just by the very nature of that thing happening to it, it is a one of a kind object. There's not another one in the whole fucking world. It doesn't matter what the guitar's model name is or yeah. the serial number, how fucking old it is. All that matters is now that is actually the only one. And it's become its own piece of history and in some cases, art. Yeah. And I think that needs to be talked about more than how much is it worth according to the fucking vintage guitar price guide or whatever? Like who cares? Yeah. Yeah. This is different. Like, are you getting ready to sell all of your instruments all the time? And, and there are people like that. It makes sense for them to be concerned with that. But people who are buying guitars and holding on to those guitars for a long time and actually using them and spending all that time with them. I, I feel like it's, it's, it's going to be a better experience if you value things other than the dollar amount for your resale. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That, that guitar with the, what, what were the names? I think it was from Roger to Joe, if I remember right. It, it's either, it either conjures like, an image of like someone lost a bet and he was like, fuck you Here's this <laughs> guitar. And I etched it in it. Or it reminds me of like a kindergarten, like Valentine that you had to give your friend Joe. And he's like, yeah. it's like, it could be a very sweet thing or it could be like a, a, an up yours thing. But either way, it's just, it is kind of art and it's like its own piece. And, and like art, you know, there's bad art. We've all seen like a guitar yes. that a 12 year old like drew like every member of Slipknot like in Sharpie on the front of the guitar or, or whatever. There can be bad art, but yeah, we should definitely appreciate the ones that kind of pop through and stand out in a really like charming or uh, beautiful way. Yeah, I, I'm working on writing something right now that uh really dives into this and i i'm working on getting in touch with some people whose guitars i think really illustrate the point and uh one of the guitars was in here last week again to do some work um beyond what i had done to it like eight or nine months ago and it was an old gretsch corvette um and there's just a lot of funny shit on this guitar. It, it hasn't been like really butchered, but some of the little things are just so cool. Like the original strap buttons are gone. 
and the owner in like college i think he said he got it in like the 70s he he just drilled holes through some coins and screwed those over the strap and they're like they're like some sort of mexican coin Ooh. like a, it's just the ultimate strap lock and they look so fucking cool um dang and yeah like i, I had a guitar i worked or a bass it was like a a knockoff beetle bass type thing that i worked on in portland that was so it was so dorky that it was just beyond awesome like uh i I just have like such a soft spot for these things there's a a painting of like a pirate ship and there's like a octopus in the water and it was all done with acrylics it's like really textured (laughs) oh wow and uh and the base was set up with flat wounds it was just like or not flat ones uh the the tape wounds so just really slinky and fun bass when i was done just doing some basic setup stuff on it and the paint on it was just yeah again like no one else has that bass no one else has like a fucking pirate ship with like a little cartoon (laughs) octopus yeah so what are you planning to do with it are you making like a coffee table book or what uh, that would be cooler probably than what I'm going to do in the immediate future. Um, I, I have an email list that is at this point only open to current and past customers that, uh, I, I write articles about guitars that really excite me or just a thought that I've had. And it, the goal is to just open up a channel of conversation between me and people that support me because I, I really value that relationship more than I value relationships with people that I don't have. You know, I, <laughs> I, I don't really like shoot it off into the void and hope for the best. Um, it's kind of more of a thank you for helping me. Yeah. So this is, so you'll write an article and and just send it out as an email. Yeah. My my long term plan here is like really vague, and I'm planning or I'm playing with the idea of sometime in twenty two, um, moving all of these or some of my writing to my website yeah yeah you should archive this this needs to be a blog that everyone can read yeah and i think really that you know we could talk about whether it's like intellectually valuable or not it probably isn't but the the real value to me and to others i think is letting someone know what i'm about before they make the leap to work with me yeah because everyone has a better experience if they work with someone that they are somewhat on the same wavelength as and you know it's it's definitely not that i never work for collectors or that i never work for dealers because i work for a lot of them but my favorite collectors and dealers 
have <laughs> kind of the same philosophy. Um, I, I don't know if, if people want me to say their names, um, so I won't. It's just out of respect. But uh, one of my friends who is a dealer, just his personal collection is so much cooler than anyone else's on the planet. Really? It's, yeah. And, and we're talking Nate cool, like, mm-hmm. like your average dealer or owner of vintage guitar price guide would totally disagree. I'm assuming, but my buddy really looks hard for instruments that have been personalized in some way or that are just rare but not valuable if that makes sense uh yeah like uh one of his guitars that i have is a stella decalomania which Uh is uh definitely one of the fucking coolest guitars ever made um they are not uh necessarily nice guitars but uh just so much cooler like there's all this cool uh like they're they're just like veneers really um that are like glued on they're like decals so decalomania um and the the one that i have currently which is really really in disrepair at the moment um, has like gold glitter binding and um, it's like black. It's, it's just like all these really funny things that you don't expect on an acoustic guitar. It's from like the, the 30s or something. Um, but he's, he's got a guitar that has a certain Nashville studio guy's name uh inlaid on the fretboard and he was not like uh not a super famous guy but he was on some records and i don't know who did it you know who he had do it but back in the day he had someone rip all the frets out of his guitar and like put his name in there and then refret it and then the guitar case has his name on it too in like giant gold letters and uh but he got my buddy bought two of them from this someone who had both of this guy's acoustics, and they both had that treatment. Um, Whoa, a, a matched pair. Yeah, different guitars, but like you know, they had had that same. Like, I want my name on there, and uh, I don't know. That's just—it's so much fucking cooler than just seeing another fucking, you know, pristine Les Paul burst. Like, who gives a shit, dude? Like, there's so many Les Pauls out there that look the same, and people can have a different opinion. I'm not, I'm honestly not trying to convince anyone. So, if anyone gets offended, like, that's really on on them. I'm just stating my own views here and not trying to win anybody. But, sure, sure. uh, To me, personally, I just, when I go to any store and they're like, oh yeah, the wall of Paul. And it's like all the less Pauls, like there's like fucking 80 on the wall. I don't care. Yeah. Unless, you know, if there's one in there, like someone fucking like 
did some weird shit to you. That's the one I care about because all of a sudden it's not a Les Paul anymore. Um, that's just to me more interesting. I'm I'm more into the like anthropology of Luthery, you know? Yeah, that's super cool. And I think it's like, maybe it's not uniquely American, but it feels like very American folk arty. Yeah. And like a piece of history and like, I don't know, a cool thing. Yeah, I I just, my hope is that at some point we can stop looking at the instruments as something we need an ROI on and more yeah. as things that are just intrinsically important by themselves because of the things they've experienced, you know? Well, man, thank you so much for talking to me. I think that was a... Uh really good combo nice yeah thanks for uh, having me along for the ride